Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is episode 307. Thank you for listening. Thank you for rating the reviews, the whole thing. That's how we find out we're on the charts, and we appreciate that. That's how this goes. We hope you've enjoyed the last few podcasts that we've had. Uh, Joe Theismann last week, that was a great honor. John Jastrzemski before that, from WFAN to The Ringer. Jim Lampley before that. And think about this, Scott O'Neill left the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils just a few weeks after coming on Sports with Friends. There's also a ton going on in sports, and we are going to talk to Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bovada Sportsbook, on the NBA Finals, the Euros, the MLB All-Star Game, and much, much more. Our guest today has a story that I think is more interesting than the sports she covers. Uh, there is so much we are going to be talking about today, and I promise uh, what you're going to feel at the end is you're just going to know her. And if you've ever listened to her on the air, you feel like you know her because she lays it all out there, and it, it's fantastic. Amber Wilson was on the ticket 790 in Miami. She was a successful attorney. Let me make sure I have this right. She was a successful attorney. She leaves to go to do a radio show with another great guy who should be on this podcast, Jonathan Zaslow. She then gets cancer and then beats cancer, comes back to the radio, then gets moved to middays, and then suddenly decides, nah, screw this, I'm going back to law, all the while getting a national gig at ESPN. I couldn't repeat that if you put a gun to my head. Amber Wilson, welcome to Sports with Friends. Hey, Seth. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. That was quite the introduction. It's funny when somebody uh, narrows your life down, right? Like a 10 second synopsis. And it sounds so much more interesting than uh, I even realized. So there you go. Look at that. So you're not interesting? Well, you know, it's just anything in... 10 seconds sounds yeah. really good. Like you could tell any story in, you know, 15 seconds and it would, everyone's story would be a hell of a story if we only gave it 15 seconds of time. I know, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly I don't right. know how the rest of this podcast is going to go. If we expand all- my story, but so far I'm interested. <laughs> okay, fine. We'll, we'll, we'll hook you so far. Um, you're, uh, you, you decide to go to law school, right? And before you're even touching the sports media, were you a big sports fan? Were you a big sports media person? Were you interested in that aspect of the business? Was When did that get on your radar? So I don't know if it's as interesting as you just made it because you don't are have missing- the bar. You don't have the bar to live up to. You'll be you fine. are missing a component of the story. Uh, so it's not quite as unique as maybe it originally sounded. I decided I wanted to be a sports broadcaster when I was, I think, 12 years old. I remember, I remember at that time I was always really, really into football. I mean, football was my life and watching football, not playing football. uh, I know girls get to do that these days. Back in my day, kids and get off my (laughs) line. But back in my Uh day, we didn't really know anything about that. And so as a young girl growing up, I was super into football. In Florida? In Florida? in Florida, I grew up. Yeah, I grew up with a with a father and a brother who were football fanatics. And my I come from a long lineage of University of Florida grads, and right. we are a Gator obsessed family. And so I started oh, going okay. to Gators this podcast games. Just took a dark turn. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. So I started going to Gator games from the time I was, you know, before I could walk. So we only lived a couple hours outside of Gainesville. That's where I grew up in Sarasota, Florida. Oh, okay. So that's really where my obsession with football developed from a young age. And so because of that, I remember I had told my older brother once when I was probably 12, I said, I think I want to be the first female football coach. And at that time, 
women coaching in a male sport seemed yeah. really unlikely. Obviously, we know now that it, that it is in fact uh, it's, quite it's likely. possible, but still not likely. It's it's still, still not a likely. Long way to go. Right. Right. Uh, but certainly, there are women doing it. There's even women doing it at the NFL level. Correct. So that was unheard of when I was growing up. And I said to him, I think I want to be the first female football coach. And he said, well, that might be hard uh, and particularly hard because you're not playing the game. I don't know where your exposure is going to come in terms of X's and O's, but what you could do is you could cover it and let me show you Jill Arrington and Melissa Stark and the women at the time who were doing it. And mm -hmm. I instantly fell in love with that idea. And so I was, I think in middle school or late elementary school, when I made that decision, that's what I wanted to do with my life. So I pursued that in college. I majored in uh, telecommunications journalism, oh, okay. uh, graduated from Florida undergrad, and I went into television for years. And so I had various jobs before I ever decided to go to law school. I was in TV for like seven years before I went to law school. There was quite a break there between undergrad and grad school for me. And I did some stuff. I did a lot of stuff uh, for my, I started my career with cbssports.com, which later mm -hmm. became, which at the time was actually CBS sports line. Sports line. Yeah. Yeah. So I was one of their first hosts. I was their first host in Florida, which is actually where cbssports.com is located in Fort Lauderdale. They hired me to be their first online streaming host down here at their wow. main operation in Florida. And so it was really the mid 2000s and it was really the first it was the dawn of all that before mm -hmm. that was really a thing. I mean, I remember I told my parents what I was they doing the first couple stringers. years. Yeah. They, well, and people call in get... for like 20 bucks. Well, yeah, when it was Sportsline, yeah. but this was right when they expanded. And so they went, they expanded into regular sports coverage. It was after CBS had bought Sportsline. They expanded into regular sports coverage. And so they were doing like normal shows, but mm. they were all online streaming. And I was hosting all of that, anchoring all of that. And it was very awesome. much like what you'd see on TV, but it was just all online. And in mm -hmm. the mid 2000s, that was weird that it was all online. You know, my parents sure. never really knew what to tell people their daughter was doing. Like she's kind of on TV. Right. But Social kind of media not. wasn't a thing. So right. you couldn't post it it's anywhere. It's like this thing on the web and it's streaming and it's kind of, then they didn't, you know, it's obviously today, it's everybody, everybody that knows exact about time, streaming content. That exact time I was working for MLB.com, my parents had the okay. same issue. To yes. Total the same it's issue. like, what do we take? He's a he writer, for but baseball, he's a writer but on the internet. See him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was that same sort of thing. And so I worked there for some years. I worked at other companies, various other stuff, uh, local affiliates. I hosted a television show on SNY Network in New York City for a period of time. And, and basically- Do you travel to New York? Yeah, you, I did. There was Florida. a- yeah, I was actually at that time, I was living in Miami. I had moved to Miami because I thought I'm going to go to law school. I am going to get out of the business. I'm going to go to law school. I just, I found myself getting a lot of host roles and with my personality, I just wanted to get more than that. I wanted to be one of the people giving the opinion, not the people kind of queuing up the opinion. Mm -hmm. And, and I decided, you know what, I'm, you I'm were being go. typecast and you didn't do anything I was to being be typecast. typecast. Yeah, in my twenties, I was being typecast. Let's be real. And but, it, but but do you feel it was because your your looks, your, your this, like they just assume a young lady who has talent has to be a host? Uh, I think it's. I think yeah. I think it it has everything to do with all of that. I mean, not yeah. to. There's a there was a, a lot of lookers in the business, so I'm not sitting here saying that. No, you know, no, no, I, I was right. But it but it it is that it is that it's all of that it's all of that combined. You're a young woman, you know. I'm blonde. I'm in the business. I, I think that they maybe make assumptions about what I want to do, and it wasn't 
where that, what I really dis- discovered I wanted to do as I was in the business for a while. You learn yourself during your 20s. And I learned that, hey, there I want something that is more meaty than this. And I don't think people realize how smart I am. I, I felt like that a lot. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go into law school. I'm going to go to into the business side of sports. And that was sort of my goal there. And wow. I had moved to Miami to go to law school because I was already living in South Florida for a lot of years. And UM's the best law school in South Florida. So I moved down to Miami to go to law school. Uh, from, did from you Colorado hide your Mail. Gator t-shirts and stuff? <laughs> I did I did not. Okay. Uh, I, I'm still a proud Gator, uh-huh. but uh, from covering Miami sports for so many years too, I only root against them if they are actually playing the Gators. Okay. Otherwise, I always root for the Canes as well. But I moved down to Miami and then I actually got that gig in New York on SNY. And so I pushed back law school and I went up there and I hosted a TV show on SNY for a season. And then I thought, okay, well, it's now or never. I'm either going to law school or I'm not going to law school. And at this point, I think I was 28. And I what decided, year oh, is I'm the SNY year, if you don't mind my asking? It would have been 2010. Okay. So it's after. Yeah. I worked there from like 06 to 08. Okay. So, I, I'm, so there I'm you trying go. to think, like, we ne- but we did literally just missed you because I didn't know about you until the show with Zadlow. Yeah. So you just missed me. I hosted Beer Money. I don't know if you remember oh, yeah, that yeah, show. Yeah. It was like a trivia show. I went to bars Chris, and stadiums. Chris Carlin was part yes, of it. Yes, I'm yep. good friends with Chris. He's yes, been on this exactly. podcast too. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, Chris Carlin and I go back uh, all those years. So so I hosted that show for a season and then I decided, you know what, I'm actually going to go to law school. I can't just keep talking about getting out of the business and doing this. I'm going to do it. And then I went to law school, but then I ended up hosting a local show on the CBS affiliate down here in Miami alongside John Wiener Stugatz from the Levitard show mm-hmm. I, and some of the other local Miami guy. sports people like Steve Goldstein, uh, who covers the Florida Panthers. And so I hosted a local show down here with them for all the years I was in law school. So I kind of always kept my hand. Just in inter- TV. interrupt for one second. Steve Goldstein, episode 69 of this podcast. Wow, look at that. We're covering Chris Carlin, We're episode very 232. Continue. Truly sports with friends and wow. friends of friends. Wow. So there you go. Yes. So Another I, guy, Steve Goldstein. So I kind of always had my hands in it. After law school, I was practicing sports and entertainment law full time. And I was hosting that local show with Stu Gotts on mm-hmm. the weekends uh, down here in Miami. And then when he went national with ESPN, we had to, ESPN made us stop the local show on the CBS affiliate. And I thought, okay, now I'm actually out of the business and I'm just going to be a lawyer full-time and that's it. And then I got the call from 790, not long later yeah. that Joy Taylor was leaving and that there was a spot there on the morning show. And I thought, you know what? I always wanted to do sports radio. I love sports radio. I'm a sports radio nerd and it's what I consumed all day, every day. So I really wanted the opportunity to do radio instead of TV. So I jumped at the opportunity and I figured I could, I could still practice law on the side, particularly the first few years I was in radio when I was just doing mornings. More with Amber Wilson in just a moment, but first there's a lot going on in sports as there seems to be every week and a lot that people are betting on, including the NBA finals, the Phoenix Suns against the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, that's a matchup that we were all counting on. We welcome in the head odds maker at Bovada Sportsbook, Patrick Morrow. And Patrick, what do we make of this NBA final? Yeah, and just who we expected all along, the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks yeah. in the NBA finals. Yeah, it's 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 been a wild and wacky road to get here. And that's 
part of the reason why we're here, I think, is all the injuries uh, that was played in such a condensed season. But uh, you know what? If you're the Phoenix Suns, much like you were my Toronto Raptors, you're not going to complain too much about the schedule opening up for you the way that it did. This is a former 80-1 uh, to 1, uh, NBA Futures odds at the beginning of the year at Pavada, and they are now the minus 180 NBA Finals Series favorite over the Milwaukee Bucks. Could you uh, just uh, give me a round number of how many people bet the Phoenix Suns at the beginning of the year? Uh, <laughs> a round number, uh, less than thirty. And, oh, okay. And, uh, so it's that small. Okay. That, that yeah, and, and so for context, that would be you know less than even one percent of the people betting on NBA futures. So Phoenix Suns, pretty good position for us, even though their odds were as high as that to start the season. That's wild, and uh, good for them. You know, it's exciting for them. Uh, Milwaukee can't be a surprise, though. Milwaukee was, you know, even though the Nets had done everything that they had done, uh, Milwaukee still had Giannis, and they were still expected to go far, correct? Right. Milwaukee was expected to contend this year. Uh, they opened at 16-1 to 1 at Pavada to start the season. Uh, saw some highs, uh, I think of as high as 20-1. to 1. But, you know, they certainly had a little bit of luck as well in the East with things breaking their way, especially in that Brooklyn Nets series where if the Nets uh, were completely healthy, they would have been massive favorites. And that, that series still had to go seven games, even with all the injuries to the Nets. So uh, while the Bucks uh, aren't exactly the exact same uh, situation as the Phoenix Suns, who really did come out of nowhere this year, um, you know, they've certainly benefited again from injuries and a little bit of fortunate happenstance with some of their other competitors. So, you know, that being said, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure on both these teams because once we are back to a regular NBA season where load management, more spacing between games, it uh, rules the figure that, uh, you know, they're not going to run into this much kind of injury luck. If you're the Phoenix Suns, this is your chance. If you're the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, the Nets are going to be healthy. The 76ers are going to be right there next year. I think this is, for both teams, a lot of pressure to get this done. But the argument still, I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, got hurt on a bizarre play. That was a really tough play. He would have gotten hurt. The, the, the season didn't impact his injury. That's not a sore muscle or a pulled hamstring or something like that that you're seeing throughout the NBA. Uh, and the health of Antetokounmpo pretty much defines the series. If he can find a way to get back in the lineup and be effective, that's Milwaukee's shot. Absolutely. And uh, our numbers suggest that for any game that he's out or playing hobbled, let's say, uh, you know, that impact on the direct money line for each game is anywhere from three to six percent for Milwaukee's win expectations. So that's that's pretty massive stuff. But what you would expect for a player of his impact level. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. And, and you're right for Phoenix. You know, no, no one's going to take their trophy away. Uh, they went out and acquired Chris Paul. And that's a big key. I mean, that, that was not where this season was thought to have gone, um, especially after last year and the bubble and everything like that. Uh, but for the Phoenix Suns to be in this situation, um, I would I would argue Phoenix in five or Phoenix in six. Do you agree? I think uh, a lot will have to be said about uh, how healthy Giannis is uh, going into this series. But yeah, I mean, Phoenix is clearly firing on all cylinders. They've uh, knocked off the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Clippers. The Clippers were a bit hobbled. Sure, the Lakers were too. But, you know, they still had to go through these teams that were pretty good even when playing hobbled throughout the year. I think the Suns have looked the most consistent from start to finish. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if a gentleman sweep, like you said, Suns in five. Yeah, there's no uh, secret about that. Uh, meanwhile, the Euros 2020... 
even though it's played in 2021, still have to remember that. And that's going to drive me nuts during the Olympics when they call it Tokyo 2020. Um, but yesterday you saw the Italy-Spain matchup. Today it's England and Denmark. And people are listening to this podcast maybe when this game is starting. Still, it's a key matchup. What's the odds on England? So England, gosh, uh, they are going nuts over there. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's coming home song, but, uh, you know, they play it ad nauseum. You know, it was funny. I was watching uh, their last game against Ukraine, and they've all got their socially distanced uh, picnic benches out in the park where they can all party. And, of course, whenever England scores, you know, forget about that social the distancing. The whole country shuts it, down. It, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, England, they are currently minus 140 favorites against uh, a really plucky uh, Danish team who's, you know, done really, really well after their player collapsed on the pitch in the opening round match against uh, Finland, I believe. And they've continued to have the success uh, the rest of the tournament. Uh, you know, uh, this English team clearly looks like the best team, the best English team I can think of since easily the mid-90s, which is when uh, Southgate actually played for uh, Team England as an actual player, not coaching them as he is now. But you know what? They look really, really good from front to back. Harry Kane is just doing incredible things. He's right there for potential for leading uh, goal scorer of the tournament, just behind Cristiano Ronaldo right now, currently a plus 190 underdog. But it, it really does seem like everything has broken England's way this tournament. And again, a really favorable semifinal matchup. Uh, you know, they didn't have to play Spain or Italy. And again, this Denmark team, they've run really well with tactics, but in terms of just uh, brass tacks, how good they are on paper, you have to give the nod to England. Looking at it right now, Seth, we're seeing about 85% of all betting handle, which suggests that the Bavada faithful are also pretty certain that it's coming home. Well, and then of course, uh, this Sunday will be the uh, final. It'll be the uh, winner of England, Denmark, and the winner of Italy, Spain. And, of course, uh, that'll do it for Euro 2020. Meanwhile, you're mispronouncing that English star's name. I believe this year they're calling him Harry Effenkane. <laughs> Harry Effenkane or Harry Heckenkane. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's incredible. Social media is hysterical whenever England plays. I, I, I must follow a lot more English people than I know. Um, you know, I do some work out there, so I'm you know, on WhatsApp and I'm talking to these folks and you can't get a response during about three hours prior, three hours after an England game. I, you know, a friend of mine said that it should be illegal to be cheering for England on 4th of July weekend. I have no strong opinion about that, but, uh, you know, that did make me chuckle. And it's weird, but we're already at the midway point in the baseball season, uh, this uh, strange baseball season, and now they have the All-Star game. And... Uh, the first ever two-way all-star in Shohei Otani. What are futures bets on Shohei Otani? Oh my goodness, what a season he's having. So he, he's an interesting guy to try and handicap awards for because there's this feeling that it's very tough for a pitcher to win MVP because they have a, an award just for themselves. They have the Cy Young. And I know I, and I believe that, right. I've always thought, you know, they, they get their own awards, so it should not be a pitcher. Yeah, and so, and there's this idea that, okay, yeah, batters get the silver slugger but the silver slugger is not as prestigious as the mvp yeah. and the cy well, young is the trophy yeah. for pitchers so it has been a tough one to handicap but while we have made otani a much clearer uh, al cy young favorite at minus 200 
we have actually made him a slight favorite at Bavada to be the MVP as well. Again, because he's what he what he's doing on both sides of the ball. It's uh, you know we we mentioned this before, but it's really Babe Ruthish in a way that we. You know, I certainly haven't seen in my lifetime, and it's it's a shame that he's on such a mediocre team that that would, you know, again impact his ability to win an award like the MVP because it's it's a tricky award, and this is something as handicappers we really struggle with as well because we can say a player is good, we can say he's how good, but if we're trying to handicap how people will vote on something, we are introducing a lot more arbitrariness and you know a, a real lack of objectivity as to what how this award is even defined. I mean, uh, sports writers argue about this every year. What does it mean to be the MVP? And I got to tell you, Seth, that's, that really creates a wrench in our plans for how we'd like to handicap. We'd just like to say this guy is the best player based on this metrics. Boom, there we go. There's a percentage. Uh, but the uncertainty that comes with a voting process for things that uh, are sometimes undefinable intangibles uh, is pretty tough. But yeah, as it currently stands, Otani, uh, the AL Cy Young and MVP favorite at Pavada. Yeah, it's going to be uh, something pre pretty wild uh, as, as uh, the All-Star game comes about. Um, you know, the voting process is still done by fans. You know, I'll, I'll give you a 15-year-old uh, argument. Fans vote stupid. It's the same thing as American Idol. Um, then you have the players vote, which I actually take into consideration. But, you know, given this strange year and given the um, the, the – the strikeout rates and, you know, all the things that have impacted this season. I'm curious to see if the all-star game even resonates. And again, just to stay consistent, you know, you and I have talked about how betting lines are usually a better gauge to how people are consuming sports because linear television has changed. Remember when we started this podcast, it was 65% of us households still have cable. That's down to 50. Now it's 50, 50 in the United States. For people who don't have cable, it'll be interesting to see who watches this All-Star game. Yeah, it's one of those things each year that we certainly pay attention to because there's a good deal of money uh, wagered on it. Uh, it's an All-Star game that actually means something in terms of AL versus NL home field advantage, but uh, it's, it's otherwise not terribly compelling stuff. And I, I wish the game didn't mean uh, what it does in the World Series. Uh, you know, I thought it was an interesting wrinkle that very first year, but in terms of pure betting, I mean, it's something that's popular, again, because it's a day traditionally in the summer that uh, it's not going to be going against much. Uh, uh, generally in the past, you know, there wouldn't be regular baseball game that day. It's, it was historically an isolated betting day for sports. Uh, so as a result, I think that's what gives it that extra kind of kick. But I, you know, MLB All-Star game, ever since there was that one that was a tie, uh, I mean, it, uh, it's not too interesting to me. I, I personally like the Home Run Derby a little bit more than the All-Star game itself. Either way, we will talk about that next week. Our thanks to the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. Now back to our conversation with Amber Wilson. The radio is the meteor thing. Because and it's not based on the superficial nonsense. Yeah, you yes. took pictures and whatnot, but you were you had a chance to sink your teeth into a topic or a pot, you know, a, a subject or something. You can never accuse anybody of sports in sports radio of not knowing what they're talking about. I mean, you're talking four hours a day on our show, at least four hours a day, every single day, no script, very little preparation. You just have to know your stuff. And you get to show all sorts of, of sides of your personality too. I mean, it doesn't have to, you get to show the serious side and really that you do know your stuff. But if you work in a market like Miami, it's a little different if you work up 
you know, no, but I want to get into Miami. We'll, we'll save that for, for, for a little bit, but Miami is such an interesting town because it's a fantastic city. It's not the greatest sports city and it's maligned as a sports city across the country. And I want to talk to you uh, uh, about that, about later on uh, as well. How much did the radio raise your profile? You had done a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but how much did the radio suddenly, because again, you know, it's such a big market and it's such a magnetic market. And you were doing this morning show, replacing this person who was really great and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, what about did, did the stakes get higher? Did your social media triple? Like what happened? Uh, not as much as as I thought maybe it would in terms of social media. But that's my fault because I am not. I'm not great on social media. Hey, you can follow me, Amber W790. I know it's a great advertisement for for my social media accounts and same with Instagram. But I'm it's funny because when I got into this business and like I told you it's always been my dream, but social media wasn't a thing. So that wasn't a component of the dream that I really signed up for, or even considered. And so then social media becomes a thing. And then later in my career, employers start saying to me, "Hey, you're not active enough on social or you're not putting out enough on social." And I think, "Okay, but that's not like that's not my strength. I wish I was a little bit better at it, but I just have a hard time really getting into it. And some people are super interesting on social media and and really like putting themselves out there. So that has been a weird thing about this business that's developed since I've been in the business. And yet, is it necessarily something that we all could have planned for? Uh, So I wish I was a little bit better in that regard. But in terms of profile in the industry anyways. I would say actually doing radio is how most people know me now in our in our business. Yeah, and think. that there's a lot of people, I mean, I tried to get a look from ESPN, you know, a decade ago when I was in TV and I couldn't get a shot. And with radio, it was no problem by the time I got there. And I think it's uh, in part because there's not so many women in the space. So unfortunately, in that regard, mm-hmm. you do stand out if you're a woman who can do it. But then also in part, because I do think that we're at a place now where there's been so many women in the business now for so long that you're not, it, you can't just rely. It, it's not just that, right? You're not going right. to just uh, get noticed because of that. Or, or looks door, or anything you have else. to answer the call. You have to have the chance. Right. And I never felt like earlier in my career that I was really getting the opportunity to show what I could offer. And how can you show people if you don't get the opportunity to show them? And I think radio gave me that opportunity where people really thought, okay, wow, you know, she maybe has something unique going on here just in regards to what she knows in the lawyer side and all of that kind of married together. So uh, the radio about, was really great for me. I knew about the lawyer. I That's when I became aware of you. I, you know, friends with John and... I had done some fill-in things on that station, I think before you got there. And I remember being down there and I just, I've, I've always just kept an eye on it. You know, it was always something I was interested in. I have tons of family. My, my father was born in Cuba. So my whole paternal family is in Aventura and mm-hmm. Hollywood and North Miami beach and that whole area. So like, you know, I spent half my life, you know, growing up in that space. Um, this, uh, then it takes this wacky turn because I was heartbroken for you. You were like cruising. And like I said, I was a listener. I was, I was checking you out, you know, from online um, and then cancer. What happened? And you don't have to share as much or as little as you want. It's just, it, it seemed like it was just starting to skyrocket at that moment. That's where I think this is, becomes a movie. 
Right. So I, so I decide, okay, I'm getting, okay, fine. I'll get back into the business. Cause now there's a sports radio opportunity, which I always wanted. And Joy Taylor well, leaves and, for and, FS1. And what's going on and what's going on in sports at that point? I, again, put the years when you get the morning show, is this post LeBron? This is actually post LeBron. Right. So this ends up being down years for the heat. Uh, so Joy was smart. She was there for the best of it. Then she bounced. Then I come in. But I had listened to them, of course. I was a devout listener to their show. And so when she left, I fit right in. And then, of course, I knew, like we'd mentioned some of the other voices right. and personalities that we'd already mentioned. I mean, I'd been, I'd been, I'd had connections to the station for uh, 10 years before I ever started working there. So I come in and it is exactly the job I wanted. And I knew instantly this is a great fit for my personality. I loved it. I was having a ton of fun. And... I was only about six months into the job when I got diagnosed, which is awkward in so many ways, because of course, I mean, you're going through this really difficult, terrible personal thing, but also you, you just got this new job. That's a pretty high profile job where people are going to be interested in what's going on in your life. And then you have to tell your employers and we had to decide how to handle it and when to break the news. And I didn't want to break the news too soon because I didn't want it to be a distraction from the show. So I actually did the show for months with cancer without any of the listeners having any idea. And I don't know if that was necessarily the best move. I will say at the time, I ended up missing a lot of days because it was during the first few months of cancer was a lot of appointments trying to figure out what we were going to do in terms of a plan to fight it. And so I was missing a lot. I was missing days of the show for doctor's appointments. I decided to get treated over in Tampa, which obviously is quite far from Miami. Tampa at the time had the best cancer hospital in the state of Florida. And it's close to where I'm from in Sarasota and where my family was. So I knew that I was going to need their help and their care. So I ended up missing the show quite often. And I'm driving back and forth for doctor's appointments and trying to get a treatment plan in place. And the listeners didn't know. So during those days, I did receive some backlash from listener, you know, Amber, Amber's you're never, never doing, here, you're never you know, you're not doing it. Yeah. And they had no idea that I had cancer. Um, did but you yeah, I still was have your law was, practice. Like, did people assume that that's what it was? Uh, probably. And yes, I still had my law practice at that time. Uh, when, and I still do have my law practice to this day. Uh, I mean, I very much had it at that time. Yeah. So maybe people thought that that's what it was. And, but no, I was diagnosed with breast cancer at, I was 32 years old and, uh, it can't, I mean, it came out of nowhere. I had no idea. I was sitting on my couch one day with my now husband and, uh, and, and discovered this, you know, lump and immediately, and I didn't think it was anything. And I went and got it checked out. And when I called my doctor to go get it checked out, I was, I didn't even, I was like, ah, it's not a big deal. I could come in next week or something. And they're like, yeah, let's come in tomorrow. And then, you know, I go get it checked out. And, and then they, the doctor says, well, you know, you're young and you're healthy and there's no history of breast cancer here in your family. And let's go ahead and be careful though. And send you, I really don't think it's anything, but we'll do our due diligence. Let's send you to an imaging center and whatnot. And then, yeah. And then those doctors also didn't think, oh, you know, you're young, you're healthy. It's probably nothing, but it's not reading right on the scan. So let's do a biopsy. And then they called me the day before Thanksgiving on my cell phone because everybody was going on vacation for Thanksgiving. I got the call. It was like 6 p.m. from a doctor on my cell phone on Thanksgiving. I was with my family and they said it was actually the day before Thanksgiving break. So it was the day before 
the day before Thanksgiving, um, that evening I got a call and it was, it happened to be, yeah, the Tuesday and she was leaving on, I guess she was gone, like starting that Wednesday. So the radiologist called me and she said, I hate to do this this way, but there's, you have to know, and you need to know before next week that you have cancer. And it was like an hour before we had a birthday party for my brother, uh, given my- my brother, my brother was at the time turning, I think he was turning like 38 or something. So it wasn't like he was 12, but still, you know, we had this birthday party we, that we had planned and with all these friends and family and uh, put my game face on and, and somehow, somehow made it to that through that. And uh, it, we had pizza at the birthday party. And I remember I ate pizza and I said, well, nothing can stop me from eating pizza. Nothing can stand between me and pizza. If this news doesn't stand between me and pizza, then nothing ever will. Cause pizza is my favorite food. If I was able to eat pizza after a doctor telling me I have cancer, <laughs> right? then so my love of pizza <laughs> runs deep. So there you go. But yes, I was diagnosed with cancer at 32. Um, once you revealed it, this is where I'm a little fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Once you revealed it, uh, you didn't leave the show right away. You still did the show sometimes. How much did the theme of the show change and how much, how, how, how supportive were people? Um, Cause I would imagine the, the, the couple of show that the handful of shows that I heard um, people were so kind. And I always think of social media. It's what I, I love about social media. You know, I was telling you before we started, you know, when, when Daryl uh, was killed, I loved social media. Social media was my favorite place. It was it was therapeutic to to see Twitter. What about for you, this you know charming young girl? You're you're a radio host. You have a, a legion now of listeners, and you're going through this and staying on the air. What was that like? So I was diagnosed in November. I think I told everybody at 790 uh, privately in December. And then we didn't tell the listeners until February. So there was quite the delay. I told them in February, it was right before I was leaving. It was a week before my, I was leaving for a double mastectomy, which is of course a a terrible, terrible surgery. And I knew I was going to be gone for at least a month and a half. And so we gave it about one week of breathing room. Maybe it was only a few days of breathing room. I didn't want the show to become about it. So I announced it. I knew it was something we were going to have to deal with a few days. And then I kind of wrote off and did my thing to treat it. So I was gone for quite some time. And the guys carried the show while I was gone. At the time, I was doing a three-person show. So With uh, uh, Brendan Tobin, with right? Bre- Brendan Tobin was our producer. Brett Romberg and Jonathan oh, Zaslow yeah, yeah, yeah. were our hosts. So it was at the time, it was the three of us. And so they held down the fort while I was getting treatment. And, and then the treatment ended up being more surgeries beyond that and whatnot. So over the course of six months, I missed pretty significant time here and there. And people, once they knew, of course, were super, super supportive. But it's funny because what you're describing and with the loss of your friend, it's the same thing. People, if you haven't gone through something like that, you probably think of social media as this really terrible dark place. And of course it can be, particularly Twitter. It can be a dumpster fire, but it can also be a great place. And this is what I always say to people is when I had cancer, not only were people super supportive in that way because they could reach me that way, but what I found with social media that was so helpful is I was a young woman in my early thirties with cancer, which is unusual. And so if you're a young woman with cancer, 
particularly a breast cancer, for example, or like an ovarian cancer or something like that, you're dealing with sort of unique things that really only pre-menopausal young women are going to be dealing with that, that can come up with cancer. And then there's the whole physical component of it too, and everything that you worry about. And there's so many women. So I didn't know a single woman in my life, like none of my friends had been diagnosed with cancer yet. I mean, who has cancer at this age, but on social media, you can easily find that. And there's so much of it. And there's so many women willing to speak and help other women. And I'm sure it's like that for men. I'm sure it's like that for any type of cancer. If you get prostate cancer much younger than most people, and you know, you don't know anybody in your life who's had it, you go on, you go on social media and you will find it. You will find a bunch of people going through the exact same experience that you've gone through. And that can be the beauty of social media. I'll tell you a really quick example of how Twitter is incredible that way. Uh, My father has Alzheimer's and they discovered over Christmas, they discovered a gene, like Mm -hmm. this, a code. It didn't have a name. It was a gene. And if you could test for that gene, if my father tested positive for that, having that gene, I had a predisposition to get Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. and it wasn't going to impact his life, but it could impact mine. And I heard about it, but my source was, you know, random and I didn't know anything. And all it was, was like 10 digits. It was like a code. It was a bunch of letters and numbers. And I Mm -hmm. tweeted out, I said, does anybody know what this code means? And if you do, can you DM me? And a doctor from Yale said, yes, I work on that all the time. I, you know, and if your father tests positive, call me. And I was just like, holy moly, like social media is incredible as obscure as something like that. And it's it's unbelievable. And that's why the toxicity bothers me so much because it used to be so fun. Right. Well, you just have to ignore the toxicity, I think. And you just have to focus on some of that good because when you do need it, it can be such an unbelievable resource, no matter what you're going through or what questions you have. And it's just incredible how many people do have those same experiences or, and, or can answer those questions or are living through the same stuff as you. And, right. and, and it, it, it really is not something that people understand unless they've, unless they've been through it, but it's not all toxic. Not all. No, no, it can be great. Yeah, so, okay. So again, so, so to kind of uh, um, get back to the, the business side of this. So you're healthy. I, I am I healthy presume. now. I'm four years a survivor for four years. So I'm coming up that's on awesome. my big Do you get like five a year mark in November. Uh, you don't, but I think I'm going to, I was just actually talking to my husband. I feel like we should do something like a big yeah. trip or something, you know? Celebrate. So it's, yeah, it's five years from your diagnosis. Five years for me is, is this coming November. So for those of you who don't know what that means for a cancer survivor is your chances of recurrence, your chances of ever getting it again, drop so f- unbelievably dramatically after five years, if it hasn't come back normally, if you have cancer, in other words, it's going to come back within five years. Yeah, and yeah. if you're blessed enough or fortunate enough to make it past that five year mark, then you're probably probably in the clear, not right. necessarily, Knock but that's on wood, the idea. Bite your tongue. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So oh. you're, you know, you're playing statistics there. So you're celebrating being on the other side of those stats. That's, that's, that's incredible. So you come back to the show and again, I don't want to do so much minutia, but eventually they decide to make the show a midday show. Well, it was after the, the CBS Entercom merger. Intercom merger. So yep. we were an Entercom station. Those yep. two companies merged. So now, now QAM, the- WQAM, which was your competitor, which was and, CBS, and 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 the ticket seven ninety. They are literally now the same company, and they have Len, who's I interned for Len Weiner. Um, 
uh, Len is the program director of both. Both stations. As radio so, continues to crumble in on itself, yes. one guy runs two stations that used to be competitors. And the two biggest stations. I mean, really like the two stations in Miami sports radio. The only ones that and really play. Yeah, they were they were it. And and so now they're owned by the same company. You've got the same boss and they basically end up essentially kind of getting rid of one of the stations to, to, right. to be honest with you, because they, they went, they, they had the Joe Rose show, which Joe Rose, if you don't know, is a legend in Miami. And, and so he's a staple on Miami sports radio. Right. He's and the so Howard his Eskin show, or the Mike Francesa. Or right. The, exactly. You know, the, he's the Mike Francesa one in of every Miami. Mark. Right. There's not the same, not the same shtick that Francesa has no. going on, but yeah, that in terms of, yes, yeah. so that he's got that kind of job security. And so yeah. he's on in the mornings in QAM and there's nothing else. I mean, it, the rest of the day, they're just potting up. Yeah. They're potting up national radio on, on, on QAM on 560, which is an ESPN radio affiliate now. So they they basically went national the rest of the day. And then we have an afternoon show. We, I, I, I speak like I still work there. I got to get used yeah, to it. Yeah. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, they have a afternoon show that plays on both 560 and 790. So what they essentially did oh, is yeah. other than they, they basically consolidated the, the lineups at both stations got rid of a bunch of people is of what they ended people. up doing. Let's be honest. People. They laid off a lot of good people and they kept one show on 560. And then they went to a skeleton lineup on 790, which consists of a morning show, midday show, an afternoon show. And that is it. Uh, and now some of that was pandemic where they got rid of all their weekenders, all their night shows. So you're down to about as skeleton as you can get in Miami sports radio. When they made all those moves, they moved me and Zaslo. Uh, they made us a two person show. We were originally a three-person show. Brett Romberg left. Uh, they made yep. us a two-person show, and and they put us on middays. So they kind of toggled things around, but also they had to. They you know moved people over from five sixty and that sort of thing, and then it got. I was one of the lucky ones, not getting. Well, it didn't make sense that you guys would go up against uh, uh, the morning show, uh, the QAM morning show. Like it, it didn't make sense. If you're not competitors, then don't compete. Well, and the, but then what happened also was Brendan Tobin, who was our producer, he ends up actually getting the morning show. They yep. end up putting him as a host for the morning show with Leroy Horde, which he had been working his way towards forever because he was pulling double duty, producing mornings and hosting middays. So yep. he was double dipping. And so they ended up just making him one of the morning hosts and they toggled things around. Yep. So we end up on middays. It was wonderful to me because I had been asking secretly behind the scenes. I'll pull back the curtain. I had been asking for it. People think I'm I like got some sort of demotion move to middays or something. I'm like, listen, I still have my job and the pay is the same. And I have way better hours. It was of so course, great. And course. I had just had a child. Getting up at four. Oh, congrats. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, yeah. So at the time, so I I had just had my son three months before we got moved to middays. And so that, it was literally, can I, I came can back. Can I ask from, a really naive question? Is that really hard for breast cancer survivors to have children? Uh, so it can be, uh, he's a, he's a miracle baby. Um, yeah. I, I don't even have an explanation for it. Um, yes. A, a lot of women totally lose their fertility. Now yeah, I didn't, that's think, what I had heard. Right. It, that can happen. Uh, I didn't end up having to go through chemotherapy. Uh, mm. so I was very fortunate in that regard. I went through a bunch of really terrible surgeries and whatnot, but I didn't actually have to go through chemo, which is what costs most women their Got fertility. So I, yeah, I still didn't think I could have him, but I did. And uh, and so I came back from maternity leave, like a matter of weeks before they changed us to middays. So for me, it was the best thing ever because I was sure. having such a hard time 
trying to wake up at four in the morning with a newborn at home oh, and it managed all that. So yeah, middays yeah. was great. So yeah. So then we did middays. I was on 795 years total. Wow. Um, the ESPN connection is through like, does, does Len recommend you to Justin Craig or, 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 or any Justin's another good dude. Hey, Justin. Um, uh, yeah, it's a really good chance. He's going to hear this podcast. Um, yeah, I, is, is it that how the ESPN national thing, like a phone call comes and somebody says, you know, we know who she is. She's, she's talented before you leave seven ninety, you got the ESPN gig. I wish that that's how it happened in this business that people oh, would just see you been, and call. Right. I think, I think I thought that's nice. how it was going to work when I, I was wanted young. This movie to be like a happy ending. <laughs> I'm still waiting for those calls. If anybody, like anybody out there wants to call you, call me up, you offer money, we can talk. Uh, no, that's unfortunately not really how it tends to work for most people, at least in, not in my experience. I know it does work like that for the lucky few, but um, for most of us, no, for most of us, it's clawing and climbing for a million years. Uh, I feel like I've been doing it for 15 years and I'm sure hustling. I've, they yeah, I'm hustling. still, yes, it's, it's, uh, this, this business ain't for the weak hearted, you know? So <laughs> I, I, I actually, I, I finally, after a few years and once I was healthy again with the cancer and everything, I thought, you know, what? I hadn't had an agent in many years and I thought, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to go the agent route and just see, because even though I'm a lawyer and I can certainly negotiate my own contracts, I obviously don't have all the connections that agents have in broadcasting. And so make the phone call that you can't make. Right. So I ended up uh, speaking to some agents, uh, deciding which agent to, to kind of run with, forge a relationship with. And I was fortunate enough to find myself in a position by that point in my career, because I hadn't tested the agent market in many, many years. But by that point in my career, doing radio and everything I'd done and, and the lawyering and everything, I, I found that agents were interested in representing me. And, oh, good. and so I, I forged a relationship with an agent and he made a call to ESPN and they said, who, you know, because nobody knew, even though no, I've been in this didn't. industry, it's no like you, it, it's like, nobody knew. It's like, no, Come she's on. done a lot of stuff. It's like, who is Amber? Who? So he, you know, he sent my real and and they called up and said hey let's uh we'd love to give her some airtime on the weekend so that's kind of how i love how you said real you didn't even call it a tape everybody calls it a tape and people are like it's not a tape if anything it's an mp3 file but it's yeah, not a tape not definitely not a tape in 2021 so <laughs> i'll stick with real but yeah so that's how it happened i actually had a regular saturday show on espn radio uh, a few, a couple of years, like two, two, two and a half years ago, it was before the pandemic and it ran up until the pandemic. So that relationship had been established back then. So it had nothing to do with me leaving 790. I was looking okay. at the time in addition to uh, 790. Sure, sure. And then I had a regular Saturday show and, and Len was kind enough to approve that and everything. And then, and obviously he has those relationships, uh, like you mentioned at ESPN radio. And then the pandemic hit and I stopped working for ESPN for a while. And then I, I went back when, you know, things started kind of getting back to normal about what, three, four months ago, four months ago or so. So I've been my, kind of all my, over the place. My 10 second Len Weiner story. So when I interned in the summer of 1994, I'm a little older than you. Um, in the summer of 1994, I interned at WFAN and the two producers were this guy, Bill Rodman and Len Weiner. But in my head, 10, 15 years later, I mixed them up. Oh, 
So I'm down in South Florida visiting family and I decide, I, you know, Len and I were friendly and we had kept in touch over the years. And he says, why don't you come over to the studio? We'll, we'll, we'll get lunch or whatever. And I walked into the room and I swear to God, I was expecting him to look like Bill Rodman. Right. And I was just like, hi, I'm, I'm waiting for Len. <laughs> I, was, I was mortified. <laughs> Oh my goodness. The whole time, like for 15 years, I could have sworn if you had said, if you showed me their two pictures and said, which one's Len Weiner, I would have pointed to Bill Rodman and go, yeah, that's Len, the other guy's Bill. And I just, I mixed them up. It was just, it was something that happened, you know, when I was 20 years old and then, you know, 30, 15 years later, I was 35 and I met Len and it was, it was a real embarrassing uh, moment, but Len's a really nice, nice human being. He is. I'm sure he handled that with grace. Oh, yeah, he's he was very, fine. very was nice. He was, really he was a, stupid and funny. He was incredibly, an incredibly nice boss. He was very good to me during everything I went through in my personal life. Cause I, I mean, I went through a lot when I worked with him cause I had the cancer and then my story sounds depressing if I, if I regurgitate the whole thing, but, yeah, but, but now then look, go when, back to the introduction. It was pretty spot on. Well, yeah. Well, and then it's, with the, there you go. There you go. It's an interesting story. Uh, again, once again, we'll whittle it down to 10 seconds, but yeah, so I had the cancer working for him, of course. Uh, and then I, and then once I was healthy, I thought, okay, I'm in the clear. And then the week I found out I was pregnant with my son. Uh, I also found out that my mother had brain cancer and that my grandmother had lung cancer all the same week. Um, we were all super, super close. So I ended up uh, having to go back and take care of them for a period of time. My mother got really sick really fast. She passed away when my son was only eight months pregnant or when I was eight months pregnant wow. uh, with my son. And then my grandmother passed away two months later. Um, hey, and yeah. I had to be over there and my grandmother had dementia. And hey, so I had hey, to take hey. care of her and I was the only one. And it was, it was a mess. Uh, so my life was a mess while I worked for Len Weiner and he could not have been nicer. Yeah, yeah, it was Easily the most difficult five years wow. of my personal life easily easily uh i went through hell and back there and but it's just a coincidence because radio was something that you were really really good at you still are but it just so happened that it was like literally pitfall after pitfall after pitfall after pitfall and that's what was so unique to the story and i'm not saying that you're out of the woods completely now but you have a healthy kid you know you don't have cancer why leave 790 so I think that also all of that contributed, like it was a hell of a five-year run it was, it was. Uh, and it was a hell of a five years uh, for me personally and professionally and professionally in a good way, like you said. And that job was a godsend because I went to it every day and I got to shoot the bleep about sports and sports is not life or death. And no. there was a lot of death going on in my life, whether I was facing my own or whether yeah. I was facing my mother and my grandmother's. And so during that whole time, just going and getting to do that, you know, getting to talk sports with your friends, right? That's what this podcast you have, is about. But you have a positive disposition. Like no one's listening to this. They're hearing this story and they're going, holy crap. But no one's hearing you going, oh my God, she's morose. Like nobody's doing that. Like you're a very positive person talking about some serious heady stuff. Yeah, well, I think that's helpful, obviously, to get through the stuff. But I also think I'm fortunate that I have gotten to work in a space that is fun. I mean, you know, I, I think that sometimes we do take that for granted with sports. It's one reason I was when I was in college and I majored in broadcasting, I ended up getting a lot of opportunities in news. I thought news was really interesting. But I didn't want to do news for a living because I knew it was going to be depressing. Ultimately, it's bad I felt news, like right. all I you're doing is oh reporting bad news I, in sports. You get to talk about some good stuff and some fun. I didn't stuff. want to have to cover kidnappings and car accidents and right. tragedies, fires. And all, I didn't want to be that guy. 
in in school we were taught about Dan Rather, and this is more for the the audience. Dan Rather uh, was this great journalist. He was a, a respectable journalist who just happened to have been assigned in 1963 Dallas, Texas, in November, and happens to be an eyewitness to Kennedy's assassination, mm -hmm. and nails it. And that thus launches his career as the successor to Walter Cronkite, but he's known for this awful tragedy. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, and that is news. Like when you're, it, it, it's this weird disposition if you work in right. news, because and and I mean, it, shout out to the people who do it because it is not an easy life. But you work in news, whether it's local or national, yep. and all you're doing is reporting often on the negative stuff. And then when any of that kind of stuff happens, that's major, really terrible, tragic, it can make your career. And how Correct. weird is that, that, you know, if you're in Miami right Think now, about on the journalists Miami local news, January 6th at the Capitol, right? There's that. Doing, they did amazing or, jobs, right? Or, you know, September 11th or down here in Miami yep. right now with the unbelievably the terrible yeah. Surfside collapse. If you're on local news down here in Miami with the Surfside collapse, like that's your moment that you're maybe getting picked up on the national networks and that can make you as a news journalist. I wanted nothing to do with any of that because it's, right. it's, it's, a, it's a tough life and I really credit the people who do it. Sports, to that end, and if you're listening to this in the future, we have a rule in the podcast. If you're listening to this in the future, let us know how the flying car is. Uh, if you're listening to this at the time of its release, uh, I have a friend from the New York CBS station here in, in New York who's down in Florida covering the, the building collapse. And I just I reached out to her husband. I just said, how is she like? How is she dealing with all this? And they said, she's sick like that. She loves that stuff. Mm -hmm. You have to be have to. cut from a different cloth um, to 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 see those as opportunities when you and I see those as, as cringe. When I went to Syracuse, I wanted to get into po politics. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go into sports at first. Not, I just didn't care enough about it. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, you could talk sports and use the same passion that towards sports that people have for real serious things. And man, you could do, you know, you could go far. And that's what drove me to be in sports broadcasting. And it, it was, it was wild. We'll get back to Sports with Friends in just a moment. But first, did you know that I have another podcast that I do? It's like Sports with Friends, but it's a little different. It's about the superhero sci-fi universe. I have been a fan of comic books, animation, movies. And when I started the Hall of Justice podcast, we wanted to do it for adults. Why did I name it the Hall of Justice? Because if you're old enough to know what the Hall of Justice is, you're our demographic. The idea of the show is to take the same passion that fans have for sports, but to bring it to the superhero genre. We have movie reviews where we spoil the movie. Don't worry, we warn you so that you can see it first. We also have celebrity guests where we interview actors, voice actors. The Hall of Justice podcast comes out every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. You mentioned CBS and Intercom, um, but the way the business has changed with podcasts and blogs and social and all the things, it seems like maybe not going to happen in our lifetime, but it seems like radio as an entity is downsizing. What's your thought on that? So, you know, you asked me with the last question before we kind of went went there with. The oh, yeah. yeah about kind of why I left, yeah, we went to 790, you know, 790 yeah. right? And, and that is one True. of the reasons we, we like, never I really actually answered answered it. 
Right. And, and one of the reasons after this five-year journey that uh, there's a, there was a part of me, I was at a place after five years where I just felt like, it, I felt like it was a good time for me. It fi- kind of felt right where I felt like also I kind of needed to move forward a new chapter in my life. This last chapter was, uh, you know, wonderful in many ways. And also of course, super complicated and terrible in other ways over the last five years. So I got into a place mentally where I just thought, okay, I, I, this is, this is my time for something new moving forward, moving away from that. And then the change of the industry certainly affected that mentality where I've felt even in the five short years that I was working there, because before that I'm in TV, so I haven't been in radio for Mm -hmm, 25 mm -hmm. years, even in five years, I felt the impacts of it dramatically, where I just kept seeing this changing world happening around me. Mm -hmm. And I do see terrestrial radio, unfortunately, as much as I love sports radio, and I told you how much I love it, Mm -hmm. I do see it taking a hit. And I don't know if it ever becomes, the only reason it's not gonna become obsolete over the next 10 years, because otherwise, frankly, I think it would be. The only reason it doesn't completely become obsolete is because of live programming. Where where are you going to go to hear your local game on the radio? And so you're still going to need the local programming there. And then also nationally, there's only so much attention that anybody can give to your local sport. So there will always be a desire there for local personalities. Now, all those local personalities could go to podcasts and you could consume them that way, but you can't consume your live sports that way, at least not right now so much. So if you want to hear down here in Miami, you're still going to hear the signals for, I would imagine, quite many years because where else are you going to go hear the Canes games on the radio or the Heat games on the radio or whatever? And no, but is I think there still a market for that? I mean, I do think that it'll turn into streaming services. It, like it'll you'll be, turn, right. you'll subscribe so to the Marlins games. And that means on your device, in your car, you will have all the Marlins games. You know, And just that's like- the direction I think we're headed. So I do think that from that perspective, you're right. You could, if you have them all streaming and then from the team perspective there, I don't want to give anybody ideas since I'm in radio, but from the team perspective, also like, why are you inking these deals with these radio stations? If you could come out with your own app for streaming that streams all the games. And I know that that, you know, you run into licensing with the leagues and whatnot. There's some more minutia there, but I do think that that's the direction you're headed and that they have to get that sorted out. I started seeing all that writing on the wall over the last five years. And I thought you either have to be on network or you need to be on a podcast. There's only so much future here and there's a lot of future in what I do as a lawyer. (laughs) So there's a, (laughs) there's a lot more. I'm I'm fortunate that I always have at least that to fall back on uh, from, uh, you know, the perspective of like always, always having a plan B, but this is what I really love. And so I, I did want to find a way to continue to do it. And I do hope that, you know, eventually here I get some more opportunities in it or can expand the opportunities that I have, but being able to still do ESPN radio on the weekends had everything to do with why I felt like, okay, now I can leave because at least I can kind of keep my hand in it. And it's at the network level. And I just feel like I need to, I need to make changes because the world is changing and there's only so long of a run that I think all of this has. If you have a couple more minutes, I'd love to do some sports. I'd love to ask you some yeah, sports sure, questions. Let's do it. With let's your story is fascinating though. Your it really is. Well, thank you. Um, it held up even as we expanded it did. the conversation. It held up. Huh? It held. Right. Pe- well, people are still with awesome. us. Thanks. Um, Miami as a sports town 
is interesting in that um, it seems like it is an entertainment mecca. It is a tourist haven. And it is constantly with some form of entertainment somewhere. Whereas it seems like that if some major sporting event was happening, you know, five blocks down the street in, uh, in, in South Miami, you wouldn't even know. Um, it doesn't seem like there's the passion. There's the cynicism because it's a lot of transplanted New Yorkers who will say, you know, that coach needs to be fired and this quarterback can't hit, can't do this. And the frustration level is high. So you still get the vocal minority, but the unconditional support of the franchises. And if you want to exclude the dolphins, that's, that's fine. What I worry about is the overall viability of the Marlins, the Panthers and the heat. So you, Miami is a very unique city in terms of what it has to offer. I mean, uh, tons of beauty, and I don't just mean the skyline and the ocean, but there's plenty of that as well. The weather, the glitz, the glam, the nightlife, it, 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 the, the, the diversity. It's, it's, it, it's an unbelievably unique city. It, I don't actually think is that unique of a sports town. And I know that that is the easy thing to say when we talk about cities like Miami or the Atlantas or even the Los Angeleses of the world. I Phoenix, think actually Phoenix is another one that gets Phoenix that is another same one. Rep. I think we could go across the country. And I think what you and I would find if we did it is that actually that's the norm and that unique is New York and Boston, that the Northeast is unique in that nature. Because first of all, when you're talking about the Northeast, you're talking about lineage that just doesn't exist down here. Sure. If you're in Boston, your great, great, great grandfather rooted for the same team that you're now rooting for in Miami. Everybody just got here yesterday. Totally. It's hard to ever find a second generation Floridian, nevertheless, a Floridian that comes long down the line. And in Miami, that's even rare. I mean, I'm a seventh generation Floridian. That is unheard of. Unheard and of. in Miami, everyone's transplants, whether they're coming from other countries or whether they're coming from the Northeast, like Chicago, New York, but if they're coming or, or Boston or New York or Philadelphia. Right. But if they're coming from the North and moving down, they're bringing their teams and their fanfare with them. Great. They're not probably adopting the sports down here. If you're coming from Latin America, you're watching your soccer team from your country and you're probably not really embracing the sports here. So there's that element to it. But then the fans that are here, I think that they are more of the normal fan in regards to those other markets we just mentioned, where it becomes sort of an event. Of course, there's the diehards. It's just that not everyone's diehard like they are in New York. However, if a team's killing it, if a team is in the finals or a team's in the playoffs or you're on a good run, all of a sudden everybody starts paying attention because it's an event town. And I think that's how most of your big cities actually are outside of those Northeastern cities that we mentioned. I mean, a lot of your big cities like the Atlantas and the Los Angeles and the Phoenixes of the world where they'll tune in when you give them a reason to tune in, but they're probably not riding with you when you don't give them a reason to. So uh, Lone Depot Park for the Marlins is going to be empty because they haven't had a reason to tune in and darn near 20 years kind of thing. The Heat uh, Arena, uh, which I think what now is FTX Arena that just changed, it was previously AAA like a month ago, that their arena is, is still a packed house uh, for every Heat game because they've given you a reason to care in the last decade. Fair. They've given you several reasons to care in the last decade. I think that's how most sports markets are, frankly. I think that... 
the, that the more unusual sports market are the traditional sports towns that we think about, but those are the ones that are actually the more unusual kind of unique sports town where when I hosted that show in SNY, it was a trivia show I mentioned, sports yep. trivia. I, I walked into random bars. I went up to random people, asked them sports trivia questions. I could never have hosted that show in Miami, Florida, Correct. but I could not have hosted that show in most places in the country. Like that is a New York thing okay. where I can walk in and I can find the, the person at the bar who can answer the question about the 1942 Yankees and actually get an answer. And that doesn't exist. I don't think in most sports cities. Let me, let me, let me caveat that then uh, episode 260 of this, we had uh, David Sampson on a guy you've talked to a 3000 times. Um, I never understood uh, building that ballpark where they did. Um, it made no sense. Um, I don't care how interesting the team is. And I was a massive Jose Fernandez fan. Um, the, the ballpark, I was at the all-star game there. It was, it was awful. There's no place to park. It's, 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 there's, it, it would take hours to get there from like uh, Palm beach County, uh, Fort Lauderdale. It, there's no reason on a Tuesday night in July when there's so much to do in Miami to me, the Marlins have no shot. Uh, baseball is struggling as it is. Again, we've done dozens of podcasts on that. It just doesn't seem like it's a healthy situation. And I would not want, I don't care if, if Joe DiMaggio came back from the dead to buy that team, it doesn't make a difference. The ballpark's still there. What's the viability of that franchise? Well, I think, again, it depends on the winning. And the problem is that they haven't been doing Does it. it and they're really not doing though? it again if this they season. win 95 yes. games, do people, will people show, show up. up in that building? First of all, that ballpark, it's a beautiful bar, ballpark. Beautiful. If, you, if you guys aren't familiar, like that's right. The, the, the parking and all that's kind of a mess. Uh, also, they haven't had to You're figure out Havana. a lot of that. They are in Little Havana and it feels like you're kind of removed at the time, except for you have to remember that's where the orange bowl was. That's where the OB was. Yeah, and but, that thing but was Saturdays, rocking. Saturday afternoons is not Tuesday nights in May. But what was the difference when they moved up to a uh, dolphin stadium at the time? What obviously right, right now, the rock, when they moved up there, there was nobody there for, you know, Marlins games either. And then obviously for Kane's games, it depends. Like it depends if they're winning. It depends if they're not winning. And so where all of these teams go and we've seen them move and we've seen them try various locations. All it matters is the winning in this town. It's just what brings in people and they will drive, they will drive for it, but man, you've got to give them a reason to, or they will find the parking for it, but man, you've got to give them a reason to, I mean, everybody who's ever been to a UM game can talk about parking on all the lawns in little Havana for the old OB. We all have those memories. You're willing to do it. If yeah, the team's good enough times for a you year to do versus it versus 81. And that's I, true. I understand. I understand. And, and, and I don't know. And I'm not sitting here saying that they'd ever be sold out, uh, you know, but for, uh, for every game, but you would see people show up. You would see a lot more support. You've if seen it with won. heat games. I mean, let's not pretend like the NBA. I mean, I think the NBA season is too long in a regular 82 anyways. And in, in heat games there, you know, you're talking about okay. a full arena game in and game out. You're talking about most sellouts. I mean, for the longest time, they had the streak of sellouts. People act like the heat games aren't well attended. They're unbelievably well attended. And it's just because you captured the attention of the town. That's it, which is the key. I mean, even sure. Dolphins games aren't, packed houses even though football still would be king here but you'll see if they start if getting it, better and better winning. they continue start, to improve you're saying it only has to do with winning it and, does I mean, and, you and the panthers it. are the same thing the i panthers was gonna fit. say the florida yeah. panthers which i mean we don't know anything about hockey down here if you grew up in florida like i did like no you don't know anything about hockey there's no hockey you're not There's a mucker a, or a grinder 
I mean, I just, we, I, the, the closest skating rink to where I grew up when I was growing up was 45 minutes away. I didn't know a single person who played hockey. There wasn't a high school hockey team. There was, there was no hockey. And so you, if you didn't grow up around it, you, you probably didn't watch it. You probably don't know much about it. That's how most Floridians are down here. And with the Panthers games though, there's a whole lot of people who were out there at BB&T center, probably don't know much about hockey, but the arena was packed. And then of course there was a diehards and there are some very loyal Panthers fans who know a ton about hockey. So I don't mean to discount that, but not a ton, let's be real. And yet when they're in the playoffs, the BB&T was still raucous and it wasn't lightning fans. It was Panthers fans, but you have to be in the playoffs. I mean, before the playoffs, before they're good, nobody cares. Right. Right. That's interesting. Um, Last thing before we, that stadium, uh, by the way, is way the heck out. I mean, it's in Broward. It's it's like way out sawgrass. I mean, for those, I just thought the Marlins stadiums nowhere near anything. Getting any public funding in that state is impossible. The uh, the viability just in either Lauderdale or even even further north, you just that's where the money is, and there's that that that's where I thought you could build a ballpark and fortify it. And I just thought if you're winning, the young people who in South Florida would come north, not the other way around. The retirees are not going south. They're you know the the as baseball to me is an older demographic. Right. I don't think they're not playing to their demographic. I I, honestly, I think the Marlins have been so disappointing for so long that you could put them in Boca Raton town center and they're not drawing, they're not going to draw like they should. You can put them in century city or century village home and they're not going to draw like they should. But I think of the people who go to the, the, the Jupiter complex. That's gorgeous. The, you know, like you, you go to these complexes and it's just teeming with people and it's an older demographic and they're the ones who like baseball because you, I, I defy, I'm sorry, your, your young child is not going to be a baseball fan because it's going to be a dead sport by the time he's you know 15. And so if you're going to do that, you know, cater to the people who like you, that, that that's all, that's all it was. Um, you, you, you've referenced this a bunch and I didn't want to not address it before we let you go. And that is um, the role of the woman in sports broadcasting. To me, you know, back in March for Women's History Month, we did a, a podcast where we did only female guests and we had people from all different kinds of industry and everybody tells a different story. And what you're starting to see, you can take this one of two ways. What I am fascinated with is the dedication that women have, that certain women have into uncovering crimes that had not been ever spoken about, you know, the Jared Porter and the Mickey Calloway and things like that. Or there's this idea that because there are so there there are fewer women, especially women of color uh, that are going for these jobs, that there is a greater opportunity because employers want to show that they are progressive and if if the white male versus the black woman uh are going for the same job the black woman's going to get that job what's your thought on any of that wow there's a lot to unpack there so i will say i mean so what you're referencing there (laughs) what you're right goodness Uh, i mean what you're referencing there at the end then is this idea of like diversity hires right and when people discuss that what they always forget is it's a ridiculous conversation when we have it because the whole reason we can even say that or suggest that, that now the black woman's getting the job 
because she's a black woman is I didn't complete- say that, but yeah, but, right. But, but, but that's but the, that's, is, that's that the black woman the will get seen that the white kid who's 22 that has a reel or a tape or whatever he has, he's not getting seen because that's not what program directors are looking for. But what's funny about that, of course, is like, that's all that was seen. And that's why she wasn't seen before, you know, not that she wasn't deserving, not that she wasn't good. It's that all we saw was that. And of course, representation matters. And I think what we've learned through providing representation to women and to minorities and when they've gotten elevated and that when they've been given uh, their due chance is you've seen that there's a whole bunch of people who tune in for that and want that. And it's like, hey, so-and-so looks like me and this is something I can relate to or this is a brand that I enjoy. This is the type of programming that I want and there's a market for it. And that all that matters is that people are tuning in and that people wanna see it and you don't necessarily, I mean, when, when there's zero representation and you don't have to go very far back for no offense, Seth, for everybody to be a white man, <laughs> I mean, you don't have to go very far yeah. back. You're missing out on like a huge You're opportunity. Offending me. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, we're all, you know, at a certain point, like we're all like very bored. I mean, even those of us who are white, we're like, we're very bored by it. It's like, yeah. what, are, what are we doing? This is not representative of the real world. And at some point PDs realize hey, our talent also needs to represent the real world. What are we doing? And of course, in sports, that problem is even compounded by the fact that sports never looked like that, but the people covering sports looked like that. And that was a a really weird thing about sports. And it's like, why and what? And there was all these people missing out on opportunities that they should have been given. And now if they're given an opportunity, then yeah, there can be this idea around it, that that's why that opportunity exists or whatever. And, and, and it's just a, a complete falsehood. It's, it's those opportunities should have always existed, of course. And people are earning their way in a way that they just didn't have the opportunity to earn their way before. And really that's all it's Mm. about is just having the opportunity to earn your way like everybody else. And, you know, some of it was overt and blatant and some of it I think was just, uh, you know, I mean, there was this idea, listen, we're in 2021 and there was still what a radio host like a year ago on Twitter, I think who got fired up in Canada because he said, oh, well, women, you know, I've never, I think he was also a PD or something. And he said, well, I don't think women want to talk about sports. So that's why I've yeah. never had a woman at my station or whatever. I'm paraphrasing. Just, I, don't I, I hold remember. me to I, that. But remember that whole scandal? I'm not looking up the story, but yes, I remember it. And I'm like, man, we're in 2021 and people are still out here. Oh, women don't want to talk sports. When, all, when you see a ton of women doing it, it's like, are you really? So you think they just woke, you think we all just woke up one day and wanted to talk it? Or do you think we weren't given those opportunities and we always have been here always wanting to talk it? And that's really the truth of it. So yes, and the representation matters in regards to your other point too, because of course there are always going to be issues and this isn't necessarily people ignoring the issues of other people. It's just that you know what you know and you're gonna be most comfortable with your own experiences. And as women, we have certain experiences that men don't often have or don't ever have. And so you're going to maybe be more sensitive as a woman to some of those experiences or look out for those experiences more or Mm -hmm. be able to give uh, more credence to those experiences and cover them in a different way then maybe men can because it just isn't their experience and they haven't lived it. And that's not a knock on men. You know, it's just, it is what it is. We're all products of our own experiences at the end of the day. And we experience life slightly differently and we experience a situation slightly differently. And there is unfortunately things that happen to us that, you know, maybe 
don't happen quite as often to men, problems that we have to deal with that maybe men don't. And the more women that are in the media, then you do see women being more cognizant of that, giving more attention to that, covering some of those allegations and crimes differently than maybe they otherwise would have, or the attention would not have necessarily been there two decades ago. And part of that is just the experience of being able to do it because you're a product of your experiences as a woman. And it's why representation matters so much. Amber, um, we've talked so much about social media. Uh, how can people find you? Uh, you? I know you gave it out in the beginning, but you know, people weren't writing it down. Yes, hopefully I didn't bore you to death with my little soapbox there. Uh, Amber W790 on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, and I appreciate the interactions. I'm somewhere on Facebook too, but I really hate Facebook. So, Well, you know, I will tell you, I will say uh, wherever you are, uh, if you had any issues with anything that you heard today in the podcast, uh, do me a favor, reach out to Amber directly and leave me. Yes. And leave you out of it. I hope I didn't say anything that's going to upset anybody. I shouldn't have said anything that's going to upset anybody. Um, continued success, continued good health. Thank you for, for being who you are and just you are a great listen uh, on, on 790 and that's how I found you. But I think you're even uh, better now that I'm getting to know you and uh, I just I'm rooting for you. Um, not because you're a survivor, not because you had this, not, not, it's, it's because you're who you are. And I just I'm rooting for you and I'm, I hope you'll come back to the podcast and we can talk about more great things. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Seth. In the Marlins fold. I know this ran long, so yeah, there you go. In the Marlins fold, I'll come on and be like, you were right. (laughs) The ballpark was never going to work. It was never going to work. (laughs) (laughs) That's Amber Wilson, folks. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thanks for rating. Thanks for reviewing. Uh, Don't forget, every Wednesday, we come out with a new episode of Sports with Friends. Uh, Stay cool in the summertime and stay safe, everybody out there. We'll see you next week. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Come on. Taking up my time